So this morning I woke up and we walked out on our back porch and we just sat down and had some bacon and eggs after celebrating our Mexican heritage last night. And, and I just thought, how blessed, how blessed am I? My friend Tom Jurgens often says that he has been given the life he did not deserve, and that's exactly how I felt this morning. I don't know, anybody else feel that way this morning? You feel like God maybe gave you more than you deserve? I, I think it's interesting because we we had a conversation last night with a couple of us, and, and there are many who believe that we've been given a life greater than we deserve, and yet we're growing in an age where um, I think many of us begin to think that we deserve more than we actually do. And so how do we think about the blessing of God? That's what I want to think about this morning. How do we think about the blessing of God in a proper way? Not in a, I deserve a blessing, not in a an entitled way, but how do we come in a humble way to understand that we we are blessed. We're going to be in Numbers 6, Numbers 6, 24 through 26 in our series written on my heart. And here is the verse. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. Every Sunday I come to church and every Sunday I end with what? If you've been here before, these words, you maybe thought that I came up with this cute little saying on my own. I did not. This is out of the book of Numbers. It is the priestly blessing of the Bible. It's something that I grew up with when I was young. And honestly, I don't remember exactly when, but somewhere along the line early in my preaching career here at this church. I I found it to be quite fitting to use this passage each and every week to send you out with God's blessing. This is a a deep part of what we're doing this morning. I don't think Sunday is the last day of your week. I think Sunday should be the first day of your week, the springboard for your week. A lot of us think, okay, Monday is the first day when I get in my office and I got to figure everything out. This is how I want you to frame every single week by being blessed on Sunday. And that's part of why I've... I've embraced this as our blessing every week as we leave that I want to put the blessing of God upon you out of here in Numbers 6, 24 through 26. And so it's something that should be easy for you to memorize. We're in this series, for those of you who are new, called Written on Our Hearts. And we want the the word to be written on our hearts, not just our minds. We want that to move 30 centimeters, 12 inches down into our hearts, into our our souls so that it forms the very nature of who we are. We want God's word to penetrate deep within our souls. 
And so throughout this series, I've been really encouraging us to continue to do what we've been doing all year. Listen for the voice of God. This is the big idea for 2018 for Big Sky Christian Fellowship. Listen for the voice of God through prayer and through scripture. We're not making it complicated. That's what we're doing all year long. And part of what I've been doing is trying to teach you how to read the Bible. And I want to do that as well this morning. So one of the things you need to know when you approach the Bible, when you say, I'm going to open up this book that might be confusing or scary to open up from time to time. I'm going to open this thing up. One of the things you need to pay attention to is the context of the verse, the verses around the verse and the cultural context of the verse. So first, the context of this verse is that it's a priestly blessing upon God's chosen chosen people. This is the reason that I use it each and every Sunday morning to close out our service and to begin your week. Because it was given to the priests to put upon the people. uh, And specifically it was given to them before they went into the promised land. So these are God's people. If you don't know this story, it's a great one. There's God's people. And they're enslaved in Egypt. And there's this character named Pharaoh. And there's this character named Moses. Have you seen the movie? Okay, Charlton Heston, he's got the staff. All right, you've seen this movie. And Charlton Heston walks in and says what? Let my people go, right? Story doesn't go so well for Pharaoh. Uh, Spoiler alert if you haven't read the story, okay? Pharaoh ends up drowned in the Red Sea with his entire army. Doesn't work out so well for him. And God's people are freed from slavery. And they're on their way to the promised land. This is the picture of... Of, of the gospel, okay? This is the picture of the gospel that God takes those who are enslaved and makes them free. That he takes the captive and he sets them free and he brings them into a promised land. This is the story, the, the story that we're living into. But before they go into the promised land, they spend about 40 years in a desert. They spend 40 years wandering around in a desert thinking to themselves, maybe we shouldn't have left Egypt. Might have been better there. And yet they knew that the promise of God was he was going to take them into the promised land. And so right before God takes his people into the promised land, he gives them this blessing. And so this is thousands and thousands of years ago. It's it's an ancient text. And I had the the distinct pleasure uh, last week when I was on spring break to go to see some of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Some of these incredible old tiny little scrolls. By the way, how many of you have seen the Dead Sea Scrolls or little pieces of Dead Sea Scrolls? Okay. Uh, Don't tell. Don't give. Don't spoil it. Okay. When you think about scrolls and you think Jesus opened the Isaiah scroll and he sat down and he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me when he came out of the desert after temptation. Okay. In your head, don't you think of this big scroll that he like pulls out and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, right? For those of us who have seen it, how big are those scrolls? They're tiny, right? And they, and they, and they, they put as many words as possible on them because we're Americans and we think, well, why don't they have a margin? And why don't they have paragraph breaks? And I mean, they didn't waste any of the papyrus that they had to use. And they wrote down all these incredible things and, and, and it was amazing to see the Isaiah scroll that was, it predates Christ. 
Uh, it was amazing to see the Psalms. There were four of the Psalms intact and, and they were spectacular, probably written by David and then manuscripted by someone who later uh, copied them down. I mean, these were incredible texts that it, it are miraculous for us to have uh, be able to see. And, and along with that, um, not, not in the same place that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, but outside of the old city of Jerusalem in the 1970s, there was an incredible finding. And that finding was called the Ketef Hinnom. I'm going to show you a picture of the Ketef Hinnom. The Ketef Hinnom... Uh, is a silver silver amulet. So originally this was rolled up and it was found in a burial chamber just outside of the old city of Jerusalem in this burial chamber. There were two of them, the, the KH1 and the KH2 they call them. And when they found them, they were rolled up uh, about the size of a little cigarette. They're tiny, right? They're just tiny, tiny. And it took them almost four years to figure out how are we going to unroll these without breaking them into pieces. It was just a four-year process just to unroll these amulets. And when they unrolled these amulets, what they found was the priestly blessing found in Numbers. And they said, boy, this is an, this is an amulet from the 6th or 7th century B.C., okay? This is old. This is 3,000 years old. And it was used as a pendant, as a jewelry, as a blessing. And on it were the words that we just read. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face to you and give you His peace. And so the context of this verse is, is, is that it's this priestly blessing given to a chosen people. Let this sink in on you a little bit this morning. You're receiving a priestly blessing given to a chosen people. I mean, that's a good enough sermon right there. You're a chosen people, a beloved people, a blessed people. And God desires to put his blessing upon you. That's the context of this verse. The type of verse is this. It was poetry. It's important for us as well to read the context of the verse, but it's also important for us to read scripture well by knowing what type of scripture we're reading. So if you open up to the Psalms and you think you're going to read history, you will be sadly mistaken. If you open up to the Song of Psalms, and you think you're going to get some letters to the church, you're going to be rather confused by the ivory tower of her neck. Okay? So, um, we have to read Scripture for what it is. That if, if it's a historical record, if it's a wisdom literature, if it's poetry, if it's a letter to the church or a letter to someone, if it's apocalyptic, which means it, it has a bunch of pictures that we kind of have to decipher and discern through and we have to hold uh, at arm's length because we don't even have that type of literature in our current day and age. Is it prophetic? Is it speaking to the future and what things may come? So we have to be very careful about how we read scripture. This particular passage, this particular blessing is like a poem. And so you want to read it like a poem. It's got three stanzas, okay? And it really crescendos. Uh, A lot of historians believe that it's something that should be sung over the people. And that in its original day, in, in the original um, content, that they would have sung this blessing over the people 
on a regular basis. This poetic crescendo of God's blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And so, with that in mind, a priestly blessing upon God's chosen people and poetry, let's look at the three movements of this crescendo. Number one. Number one. The Lord bless you and keep you. It gives us two Ps. Number one, presence. And number two, protection. Presence and protection. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord give his presence to you and his protection to you. This is what he was telling his people. And this is what he is telling you this morning. He says his blessing is in being present with you. And that because he is present with you, he is also able to protect you. Because he blesses you, he can also keep you. Because he is with you, he can also guard you and keep you safe. And so God's blessing begins like this with his presence and protection. Here's the presence part. God is with you. Let me say that again. God is with you. God is with you. This this sums up the story of the Bible that God wants to be with humanity in Genesis. And even when Genesis is fractured, when perfection is fractured and humans have fractured that relationship with God, God begins a plan to redeem his people so that he can Emmanuel come and be with his people. And in the end, if you read Revelation, the story isn't that we all go up to see God. It's that God comes down to be with his people. That he descends to be in the midst of his people. That God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. Some of you have a bad picture of God. Some of you believe God is against you. That God is, is waiting to strike you down for all the bad that you did. Because you grew up in religion. And you know that when you really get blessed is when you do really good things. That, that, that's how it works with God. No, no, no. That's not how it works with God. God is not against you. God is with you. God's not for you. There's some passages about this, but God's God's not on your team. Does that make sense? Like I think some of us think like God is our, our our genie, and if we rub the lamp just right, or maybe He's your Coke machine, and if you put in the right amount of dollars and cents, He's gonna spit a Coke out, or maybe He's like your jackpot, and you throw in a quarter, and you, mm, oh, I sure hope I get what I want, right? That's not the story of the gospel. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is this, that God is with you. He is present with you. And because he is present with you, his blessing goes where? With you. Everywhere that you go. Psalm 23 hearkens to this. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord keeps me, guides me. He's with me all the time. And because he is present, he can also... Protect. Does this mean nothing bad will ever happen? No, bad things, bad things are going to happen. In fact, for those of us who love Jesus and wear his name proudly, I believe more and more in our day, we're going to be beat up because of that. I don't know physically, but maybe at some point. I, I think that more and more we're going to be told to be quiet, keep it to ourselves. Religion is for just you. Don't make that known. You don't need to talk about this Jesus guy. He has some offensive things to say. And if you wear the, the name of Jesus, I'm actually convinced that bad things probably are going to happen to you. Right? That's not uh, exciting for, you know, you go, oh, thanks, Pastor Brian. That was great news for this morning. Um, 
But what it does mean is he's with you. And what it does mean is that he has conquered death and he has conquered sin. This is what we celebrated on Easter. And so even if your life is horrible, Paul maybe would say this to you, that we have light and momentary troubles. That this life, it pales in comparison to the life to come. And it's not escapism. I believe even in the midst of the hardest of hard things, Christians are the ones who have the most hope. We are the ones who have real hope because we know God has not left us. God will stay with us. God is always near us. And He will protect us even when things are at their absolute worst. Because He is present, He is able to protect. Here's here's a good picture for you. My kids are almost four and five. Uh, Ava is three. She'll be four in June. Eli is five. And quite often they come running to our room and get in bed with us because they've had a bad dream. Okay? Do you know why they want to get in bed with us? Because they want to be near dad and mom. Right? This is the first thing we say when they come. We hear, here comes Eli. Here comes Ava. Mom, dad had this bad dream. There was a scary monster. Ava went through this witch stage. I don't know. Anyway, we're going to keep her away in Halloween, I guess, from witches. But uh, anyway, um, they come in and we say this. Hey, hey, daddy's here. Mommy's here. You're safe. Daddy's here. Mommy's here. You're safe. And then we go beyond that in in our family because my wife is married to a pastor. And that's just how we roll, right? So... We, we also quiz them. Four in the morning. Doesn't matter. We quiz them. We do this. And we say, hey, who else is with you? And they always say, Jesus. And when is Jesus with you? He's with us always. And does he always protect you? Yeah, he always protects me because he's always with me. See, I don't want to propose that we have child-ish faith. we got enough people in this town that are child-ish, okay? It's <laughs> a whole other sermon, all right? I don't have time for it. We need to be childlike in our faith, right? It doesn't mean we need to be stupid. It doesn't mean we need to not think things through. But we get to approach our Father. We need to run to our Father. We get to come to our Father, our good and perfect and heavenly Father, and say, hey, I'm scared about some things, and I just need you to be with me right now. And we need to hear the voice of God saying this, I'm here. I've got you. I'm going to keep you safe. That he will be present and he will protect. Number two, that he guides and gives us grace. That He gives us guidance and He gives us grace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The picture here is simply this. God's face is shining upon you this morning. It's shining on the people as they were about to head into the promised land. It was shining on them when they were in Egypt. It was shining on them even when they were wandering around the desert for 40 years. God's face is shining upon you. He's looking out for our needs. He's guiding us. Uh, this harkens to other passages in the Bible. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Often throughout scripture, if you look at first John, John loves this imagery that God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. 
And so the picture here is that God shines on us. Like, like the sun shining on your face this morning. God shines down upon you. Because as he's speaking to these people, he's saying, hey, you're going to go into the promised land. But the people know this. There are giants in the promised land. And there are battles ahead in the promised land. There are things that are going to be hard in the promised land. It's not all going to be easy. And yet God says, I will shine upon you. I will illuminate the way for you. I will clear the path for you. There will be fights where I'm just going to tell you, walk around the city and the walls will fall down. Okay? I'm going to make it that great for you. God shines down on them to lead the way. Think of, this is the picture. Think of a lighthouse. Boat in the midst of a storm, doesn't have its bearings. Maybe maybe the radio has gone down and they don't know if the ship's going to go down. And suddenly off in the distance, they see a great light and they realize there's a lighthouse. There's land there. We know how to navigate. We know where we need to go. The illumination out in the distance is going to help us get home. God shines upon you. Last night, last night, my daughter lost her uh, stuffed animals outside, which is traumatic when you're four. Okay. Cat, there was a cat and a rabbit missing. And I don't know how she keeps them all straight. She's got about a thousand animals and she, she knows it's middle of the night. My iguana's gone. Okay. Don't know how she knows. She says, my cat is missing and, and, and my, um, rabbit is missing. Daddy, can you go find it? So yeah, baby, I can go find it. So you know what I do? Cause it's dark outside. Pop on that headlamp, right? And, and daddy's searching, searching the backyard with the headlamp. Cannot find the stuffed animals. That's where the story starts to unravel and the, the metaphor falls apart because I was not finding what I need to find. But that's the picture here, right? That God illuminates in front of us. That He shines down upon us. That He clears the way for us and, and goes with us and, and in some ways He goes before us. That He guides us and that He gives us grace because here's the thing. Sometimes even when we're wearing our headlamp, we fall off the path and then just head in an opposite direction. Right? I don't know if you've ever had this, but if you ever hiked at night and, and suddenly you said, is that the trail or is that the trail? And then realized I better check my GPS because I'm not sure which trail I'm on. See, see, we can get off the path. And when we get off the path, what we need is God's grace to bring us back to the path. He guides us. And then even when we make mistakes, even when he's made the path clear, we fall off the path. We go our own way. We say, God, I don't need you to illuminate my way. I can illuminate my own way, God. Even when we do that, God says, I'm going to give you grace on top of that. I'm going to guide you, but I know that you sometimes want to guide yourself. And guess what? You're a pretty bad guide. You end up on strange cliffs, about to fall off of them. You don't end up in the promised land. You end up in a painful land. And I'm going to give you grace even in the midst of this. If you know the story about the Israelites, they go into the promised land. And it's not like they follow everything that God says. This is the story of God's people. God says, do this. And we're like, but that looks pretty awesome. Right? And then God says, I love you, I forgive you, I'll give you grace, let's go this way. And we say, well, I want to go that way. And he says, I love you, I forgive you, come back to the path over and over and over. Endlessly patient and graceful is our God who blesses us. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Number three, he gives sight and shalom. Oh, that's a good word. Sight and shalom. When I recite this to you, oftentimes I say something to the nature of this. And may God let his face smile on you, right? And, and, and that's the picture here. He is, his face is turned to you and there's this sense that it's all lit up because he's looking at his kid. His sight is upon you. His eyes are upon you. Sometimes when I come home from work, I am not attentive. Anybody got this? You got that email that's bugging you or something that you need to take care of today, but it's going to have to wait till tomorrow. And so you, you come home and, and, and for me, it's Eli and Ava come to the door, daddy, 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 daddy. And, and they want to tell me about stuff that doesn't, I don't even, some, some of it that comes out of Eli's mouth, I'm not even sure where it's coming from, to be honest with you, right? Like he just wants to tell me things nowadays. Like, hey dad, I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down, buddy, slow down. Dad's trying to, and, and here's the thing, I'm not always attentive. I'm not. I'm distracted. Sometimes I, I feel this phantom buzz in my pocket. Any of you get this? I'm like, oh, text message, somebody needs my help. This is not how our God is. His, his sight is upon you. He is focused on you. His eyes and his face are attentive to what's going on. He kneels down with you. He looks you in the eye and says, tell me all the crazy stories you want to tell me. I got all the time in the world. My attention is fixated on you. My sight is on you. I have turned my face toward you. He's not staring off at a phone screen. He's fully present with his kids. And because he's fully present with his kids... This also happens with my kids when I am fully present with them. They can breathe. I, I can watch this with my kids. When they come up and they got their face lit up, daddy, daddy, daddy. If, I, if I'm distracted, they kind of walk away. Oh, dad's still in his work mode. But if I get down and I get present with them, man, they come to life. And they want to tell me about everything. And they want to jump up in my arms. They want me to hug them and kiss them and and love them and tell them how great things are. And, And you know what they feel? They feel safe. They feel secure. They feel at peace. Sight and shalom. The culmination of all blessings is peace. Rob from Love Inc. last week talked about this. He said that at Love in the Name of Christ, they want to help people bring their lives of chaos into lives of shalom. Shalom means uh, this, completeness, fullness, wholeness, lacking nothing. Once again, uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. If you know this verse, I shall not want, or another translation says this, I lack nothing. Shalom. And see, when God blesses us and he keeps us, when he makes his face shine on us and he gives us his grace, when when he turns toward us, 
then we have peace. And the culmination of this poem, the, the climax of this poem says, you will be those who have peace, peace in the storm, peace in the good days, peace in the bad days, peace when things are fantastic, peace, peace when things are falling apart. You will be those who have peace. And the heart of this blessing is simply this. Um, Whose name is on me? Whose name is on me? Let me explain. We've got to read the context, cultural context and the context of the verse. Go one verse further with me. Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Verse 27. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Here's my license. Brian Michael Van Apps, right? Um, that's my name. That's the name that the state has put upon me. That's the name that my parents put upon me. Uh, it has sort of a family history. My dad, his first name is Michael, and so that's why I got the middle name Michael. If we went through the room, we could probably talk about the history of your names. Why'd you get your name? You know, how, how did your parents come up with it? Do you like your name? Some of you hate your name, right? But this is my name. And the question is, who do I live for and whose name is actually upon me? Because what I could say every day is I could wake up and say, Brian Michael Van Epps. This is what you hear if you go to, no offense to Tony Robbins, but a Tony Robbins seminar, right? You're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, Brian Michael Van Epps, people like you, okay? I mean, this is what you're hearing with motivational speaking. And this is not a most motivational speech. I hope you get some motivation out of this this morning. But listen to me right now. This is not a motivational speech for you to be the best you that you can be. I hear this lie all over culture right now. And it is killing us. It's killing us. Do you want to know why? Because I know Brian Michael Van Epps intimately. And he has limitations. And so the idea of being the best me that I can be isn't actually that encouraging. Right? Not only that, if I wake up every morning, look in the mirror and say, be the best you can be, how much weight have I put upon my shoulders? Hey, you, be the best God that you can be. That's what I'm saying when I stare in the mirror and say, be the best you that you can be. And this is what the world is telling you right now, every single day. I see this on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the time. All you need to do is be the best you you can be. In fact, I hear pastors say this. I heard some pastors at the conference that I just went to say this. And I wanted to stand up and like throw a rock at them or something. Be like, no, no, your name is not good enough. Your name is not good enough. You don't even meet the standards that you set for yourself, right? There are goals that you have not met. There are promises that you have not kept. There are things that you don't want anybody else to know about. If we just unpacked it all and we said, hey, this is you every single Sunday, man, you'd be embarrassed about some things, right? I would be. Because I know the size of my name and it's not very big. But... This is good. This is so good. Whose name is on you? So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. God wants to put his name on you. 
wouldn't this shape your identity so much more than just being the best you that you can be? I mean, if, if the author and perfecter and creator of life itself, the one who set the stars in place, the one who knows everything, who never breaks a promise, who is full truth, who is full life, what if that was the one who put their name on you? What if that's how you lived out your identity? That you are loved and you are known by the creator of the, of the entire universe. The author and perfecter of life. What if the one who knows you completely, who, who hems you in be, before and, and behind, what if the one who knit you together in your mother's womb, what if that person, what if that entity, what if that deity wants to put his name on you? What would that do to your today? What would that do to your tomorrow? Because I, I see a lot of people living in shame and fear and doubt. And we say silly things to them like, just, you know what, be the best you you can be tomorrow. We're putting so much pressure on ourselves when we can say, you know what, you don't have to live to your name. You get to live into the name of God himself. God has put his name on you. I'm running out of time, but I don't, I don't really care. I'm hyped up about this, all right? John Calvin said all of Christian life can be summed up in this passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. It takes all the pressure off of you. You're not your own. You don't have to live up to your own standards. You get to live empowered by the Holy Spirit with the name of God written on your chest. Next credit verse is this. Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower, a strong tower. The righteous run to it, and they are saved. God puts his name upon you. Live into that this week. Come on. Come on. Live into that this week. The name of God is written on your heart. Don't live for yourself. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. See, whether it's in this life or the next, this this is how it ends. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 here. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, being made in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, listen to this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, God puts his name upon us and we get the chance then to run to him and call out for his name. The picture all day has been of a little kid. That we run to our daddy, that we run to our God who is perfect as a parent. Doesn't matter what your parent was like. Doesn't matter how good or bad of a parent you are. 
He is unlike any other father. And His desire is that you would run to Him because He has put His name upon you. So let's declare that with this song. Please stand and sing with us.